Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me on this episode for the first time ever, it's not one, but two guests. I am joined by both Tom Wheatley and Brendan Duffy from the James Bond A to Z podcast. And their chosen topic, well, you guessed it, it's James Bond. Yes, that's right. I sit down with two guests to discuss one of the most iconic characters in all of cinema. We talk about the legacy of Bond, how he's managed to endure over 60 years of cinema, the various iterations of the character, what's changed over the years, what hasn't or perhaps should be changed, and so much more. It's really a fascinating conversation that dissects one of the most influential things, arguably, in all of pop culture. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to both of these guys, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. So without further ado, let's just get straight into it. This is James Bond with Tom Wheatley and Brendan Duffy. Hello and welcome to both Tom and Brendan on the uh, Fundamentals podcast. Hello. Hello there. This is really cool. This is the first time I've ever had more than one guest on and uh, both of you guys are here for the one subject and that is James Bond. So I thought to kind of kick it off, I'd love to know from you guys, when was the first time you guys were introduced to the cinematic legend? Go on, Brendan. Um, Well, when I was growing up, when I was significantly younger you know uh there wasn't a bond I, I was sort of growing up during that hiatus of Do- between dalton and brosnan so goldeneye was very much um you know imprinted on my mind as as the first that i was aware of and the first time i got into bond um and then i recall watching tomorrow never dies at the cinema um and then it just snowballs from there really Wow. Okay. And how about yourself, Tom? Mine's very different. I've my my dad has he's not like obsessed with Bond, but he's always liked it. So I think I just I don't remember a time where I got into Bond. I think I probably saw my first Bond when I was about three or something. It was on in the room, so it was just a very natural adoption of uh, Bond in, into my life. I don't. I never really just suddenly thought, oh, I like this. It's just always there. Hmm. I got to say, yeah, when you're um, living in the British Isles over here, you do sort of, I feel like that's the more common introduction is it's just on. Yeah. It's just something that's always on in the background. You go, what's this? And your parents go, oh, yeah, this is Thunderball or yeah. Doctor No. Sit down and watch it. And you're like, what is this world? And I mean, it's it's one of those things I think to the outside world is quite fascinating because it's it feels like pretty much our it's like our Star Wars in a way, isn't it? It's like our huge movie franchise from the UK that we just push into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, carry on films never quite hit those <laughs> peaks, did they? <laughs> no, and probably for the best. I mean, actually saying that you've got Austin Powers, I suppose that's in that vein. Yeah. But it's a bit of a mix, isn't it? That's not really yeah. either though, is it? That's more of a, what is he Canadian? I yes, think? you're right. Yeah. 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 Anyway, but no, yeah. Bond's one of those. I think it's just, it's a fascinating character. And you guys run a show that, you're going through all of them. You're going from the A to Z, aren't you, of the Bond, which tells you there's so much to get into. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're not just talking about the films and the mm. the main characters. We're talking about everyone. Like, quite often, um, it, the other Tom, he sort of organises the, the plan of what we're going to talk through. And um, yeah. he's probably 
he's more like your encyclopedia of Bond. Like he he just digests Bond information, and he knows. You know, he'll sit and look at the credits roll, and he'll know all the people in it. But he he'll sort of send us across this list of right. These are the ones we're doing next week, and more mm. often than not, I've got no idea who like most of them are, um, because he's picking cinematographers, producers, things like that that I just didn't know about until now. Which is it's nice because I, I'm I'm learning about these things as I go along. Whereas um, I think Butler just knows. All of these things, yeah. I kind of feel like it's a Mm. it's a massive jigsaw, a really massive jigsaw that we're Mm. filling in piece by piece, and that we're already getting a lot of overlap. So we'll come to a film, we go, Mm. oh, we know that, we know that director, we know the cinematographer. Okay, we get this, we we get the the story of it. Um, So by the time we get to uh, Z, I assume we'll just go, yep, you know it. And then just well, like, oh. I think what what will happen is we'll get to the end and we'll realise that everything we did up until like the last few episodes is utter nonsense because we didn't know everything. We'll just delete it and start again <laughs> and do it properly. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So I, I'm curious from, you, from your own personal journeys then, because um, Brandon, I think yours is quite similar to mine. I remember sort of growing up, seeing a couple of movies and then it was kind of the Brosnan era was like in the cinemas. And I think the first one I ever saw was... Was it Die Another Day? It's the one with the ice and driving on. Uh, there's an invisible car. Yeah, Die Another Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so for you then, you watched um, tomorrow. Was it Tomorrow Never Dies? I mean, you can see the similarities already in these <laughs> in these movies. But was that like a moment for you? Where you kind of went, okay, I want to know more about this. Um, character? The, the moment was filled in by those Sunday afternoons that, that Wheatley okay. talks of. So, like the introduction was mm. Brosnan, and then. It's uh, oh, where can I get more of this? Where can I where can I see more of yeah. this character? And um, luckily, at the time, Brosnan's films were being churned out. There was only two years between uh, the the first like the first three had only had two years gaps, um, which meant you didn't have to wait long before it was in the cinema again. Um, but then, and obviously, the classics being on on the TV, so you can dip in. Um, when you're younger, you tend to find older films boring because um, of the pacing, <laughs> I would say. It takes you to get to a certain age to really enjoy, the, the I mean, the pacing of From mm. Russia With Love. As a 12, 13-year-old, I'm not going to be into into that. I'd rather see Pierce Brosnan in CGI ice. <laughs> would I? Maybe. <laughs> you're not a very cultured That's... man, are you? I was 12, 13. That is, I was, we're going to start one of these arguments right. again now. <laughs> yeah, and I'll leave it in. That's the best part. <laughs> I, I always think it's a, a tricky one for, mm. I, think, I think modern day Bond fans have got a bit of a tough ride really because if you didn't grow up to an extent where you, maybe not Sean Connery, but may, definitely Roger Moore, if you watch definitely a Daniel Craig film and you think, I love this character, I love this story, I'm going to delve back into the past of this character and you start watching Moonraker, you're going to think, actually, mm. I've made a mistake. It's I don't like this character anymore. <laughs> and it's not like... I'm a, I'm a big fan of old films. I love Hitchcock's and old um, Howard Hughes films and stuff like that. And those films, you look back at them and they are still classics. They're, there's a reason why people still watch those films because they are brilliant and they're, still, they're perfectly made and... Um, there's a reason they stood the test of time. But the reason that like Roger Moore Bond films have stood the test of time is because they're part of this Bond series. And if 
the Sean Connery films, Sean Connery films are probably classed closer to the Hitchcock side of things where there are a lot of classics in there that have shaped the movies. But the Roger Moore ones, if you didn't have the Sean Connery ones and you didn't have the Brosnan ones, I don't think people would probably remember those films and I don't think they'd go back to them. So I think for modern day Bond new fans, and maybe somebody who's just watched No Time to Die for the first time, who's quite young, has said, this is brilliant, I love it. They're not going to go back and go, oh, Roger Moore, exactly what I expected it to be. Hmm. Okay, so you think there's like an element of nostalgia then, really, that's kind of fuels an interest in it? Yeah, I, th- I think I'd, I'd be interested to see our era of Bond fans. So we're, I'm, I'm nearly 40 now. Um, you, you've, It's always gone hand in hand. So at that time, when I was a kid, the Connery films were still, they weren't really old at that time. They were still, people were still watching them and they were still shown on, like Christmas Day as like a, a big film that was that was being shown. Now they're not. Now they're nobody you're on ITV three like every night or, or whatever. But I think there's a certain having that grow having grown up with them at the same time as the new ones were being released, I think made it easier to become really involved with the the whole Bond saga. So if you're watching the Brosnan films, but you already like there's all you're still seeing those Bond films that are coming on at weekends, you can understand the whole saga a bit better. But yeah, I think there's a definitely a big, a big leap for for young fans to to get back into the whole of the Bond series. Right. Okay. I'm just uh, thinking about it. Then I mean, I guess that's one advantage, though, in a way, isn't it? Perhaps is that as everyone who knows knows Bond knows that there are different eras because yeah, each actor kind of brings their own take on the character and they get their own story. So. I guess when you're looking at a series that's, what, it's 25 movies now, isn't mm-hmm. it? You can, I think you can forgive one or two for perhaps not being as good as another. I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit Just one or two? It's, it's, it, it's, a lot more, it's a lot more than just one or two. But I'll throw my hands up and say I haven't seen all of them. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, anything that lasts for, for that long, spanning 60 years, mm. if, if, if all 25 yeah. of them were 10 out of 10s, I mean, that just it's mm. not not reachable, is it? It's not realistic. Um, and even within mm. those films that we don't particularly, you know, like as a whole, there's always good set pieces, um, and you can you can rarely fault the actor playing Bond either. Really, to to be fair, I'm not, I'm no fan of Roger Moore's Bond, but you can't fault Roger Moore himself. He is playing his version of Bond, and he does it very well. Um, the scripts sometimes tend to let him down and, and the silliness got out of hand. But that era was, was necessary to, to transition from the 60s to get him through. Maybe not. He Maybe he shouldn't have stayed on till the mid-80s. But to, to get him through to that next era, um, it's an important role that, that each Bond has played. Yeah. yeah. So that end then, do you guys have a favourite Bond? Yeah, Brendan does, who he talks about all the time. Mm-hmm. Mine's easy. Mine's Pierce Brosnan, and uh, that's probably because he was my Bond growing up. Um, but I also mm-hmm. think he does embody the, per- the 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 personality of Bond perfectly, and the attitude, and the look, and the style. Um, I'm not saying he's the best, but he's my favourite. Um, there's no point in having a conversation. Who's the best? We all know who's the best. Um, yeah, Connery, yeah. best by yeah. far. Well. We- I've always, I, I've had a view on Bond that my favourite has changed quite a bit over time. I used to think Roger Moore was the best one. At a point, I thought Dalton was the best one. Um, but okay. having rewatched 
a lot of the films and discuss them. It's just every time Connery just comes up as like the perfect, a great actor, the best films for, from the point of view of script writing and how they're all pulled together. And yeah, just he's he just he shaped Bond basically. No one else really shaped Bond the way that he did. Yeah, that's true. I always thought that must be quite a difficult thing for an actor to do to approach something, you know, post Connery. And obviously, Connery had an advantage of being like one of the first, so he could kind of really mark his stamp on it. And it's so iconic. Like it's true. Whenever you think of Bond, if you do the impression, most people do a a pretty poor <laughs> Sean Connery because that's the first thing that comes to your head. So I've always thought for actors, it must be tricky approaching that role of A, it's a huge character in cinema and B, like there's somebody who's already done such an iconic yeah, it's, um, series of movies. Yeah, it's the most stressful job in um, the acting world, becoming Bond. That's why so many people just, you, you see it with every single Bond actor, apart from Roger Moore. I don't think Roger Moore ever disliked being Bond, but um, obviously Craig, he, he wanted to, quit like twice when he was working on on his series mm. just because he, the stress of it and the expectations of do, doing those films are just too much and connery i mean he's he mirrors craig in that he just didn't want to be involved in it from what was it you, you only lived twice yeah. he pretty much yeah. had enough mm. um and he left um and then came back for 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 die another day at uh, die another day <laughs> dimes are forever imagine <laughs> um and he left and came back but the I think the problem with Bond is that there aren't many roles for actors where people don't care about you. They only care about the character. So when when the, an actor who's playing Bond's walking around the street or appearing on TV, people expect them to be Bond. They think it's Bond. They they don't really care about the actor. They care about the Bond character. So people would ask you for their autographs from James Bond and all this sort of stuff. And for a, an actor, and especially people like Connery and Craig, who were very, very, or are very keen on the craft and being proper actors, Roger Moore, again, probably <laughs> didn't mind very much. I don't think he ever argued about it at all. But certainly for those, it's a very difficult role to have because you can't really, you're stuck to, the, to, to this character. You can't do anything else. So... Um, yeah, I think it's probably it probably is the the most stressful job for an actor to have, and that's why it's such a difficult decision for when they they get the new ones in. Hmm. So, what do you guys think makes a good Bond then versus a bad one? Perhaps it's all the ingredients coming together, um, which we've spoken to many spoken about many times on the podcast. Goldfinger is where the ingredients come together perfectly. You've got an, a plot that is simple enough to understand and explain. You can explain the plot of Goldfinger in three or four sentences. It's got the music. It's got the right bond at the right time. It's got um, and the evil, the evil uh, henchman, iconic. Um, yeah, and, and not too long, not overly long as well. Just nice and compact, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. The Goldfinger's definitely always comes down as the sort of perfect Bond film for us. But if you're talking about the 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 perfect Bond as in a who plays Bond, who who gets that role, I think it's it's very much based on the the time and place when the films are set. Um, so you, there's no such thing as a perfect Bond across the whole series because 
Dalton was the wrong Bond at that time, but he would have been a very good Bond nowadays. He he, he would have been almost identical to, to Craig's style of Bond. But at that time, it just didn't work. And it's the same with um, with the early ons as well. Like uh, Roger Moore, he works at that time. That's what movies were like at that time. That's what people wanted. No, if you release a Sean Connery sort of spy thriller in the late 70s and early 80s, people wouldn't have watched it. They wanted stupid things where, you know, Bond's going into space and he's dressing up as a clown. That's that's exactly what that, those time periods are like. So I think you can have a perfect Bond in the way that it, they kind of tick off a lot of uh, aspects of the character, but it is always entirely down to the world in which it, the Bond is placed. And, and you'll see that with the next Bond that comes out, very unlikely they're going to be like Daniel Craig. They'll probably be changed to something, mm. something very different. Yeah, I've I've always thought that must be something that makes the character so enduring. As you guys have pointed out, it's been over sixty years. Like, how does a character who essentially you could sum up in a sentence, what is it? Always a spy that goes around the world beating bad guys. How do you keep that interesting mm. over se- several decades? And I think Tom, you've just summed it up quite nicely. It's you make him relevant. Yeah. You you sort of change him, and he's quite malleable in that way, which is really, yeah. I think, it's really interesting. I mean, to your point, I've always found it funny that the transition between sort of Piers Brosnan and, and then Daniel Craig it's it's almost night and day in terms of how the characters behave. Yeah, and a lot of people have commented that you know, well, yeah, because it's a response to like the Jason Bourne type, you know, more hardcore action films, and the opening to Casino Royale very much is that statement, isn't it? You're like, oh, okay, this guy's brutal he's a sledgehammer yeah. right okay this is this is the bomb we've got for the next you know 10 years plus well that's that's a testament to i always think that the bond series it's not really about a character and it's not really about right. a storyline for that people are following it's just a concept i mean it might as well just be called suave spy and then you can do whatever <laughs> you want and and that that's how it works so if you if you were to do the it's like Indiana Jones. If you were to continue doing the Indiana Jones films for ages, it won't work because you're stuck in that character and you're stuck in that storyline. And the last film pretty much proved that he he was too old for it. It it just wasn't it didn't work anymore because you were you were stuck to the character. You weren't the, the concept is great and an archaeologist who travels around the world doing cool things and finding this stuff. But when it's the same character and you're stuck with all of the historical baggage that this character's got, it becomes a very very difficult process to. To kind of cover and the way that they solve that in in films like indiana jones is or they're trying to solve it is by having somebody take over from him but that's that's still the same story and it's still trying to continue this thing through all these different ages where the world has changed whereas bond it's not about a man it's the man is irrelevant he's not got that one of the biggest discussions we we have and arguments we have is about the sort of um the way that uh, Bond, you don't want to know about his origins. You don't want to know about his family. You don't want to know about his hopes and dreams. He's just a man that sits in this point in time and you're just watching him. And every time they do go towards his origins and stuff, it doesn't work so well and it, it kind of loses the audience because it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just, it's a concept. He's not, he's not a man you care about. Hmm. Interesting. If that... That um that brings me back around to something that you said a minute ago, Brendan, that I thought was quite interesting about this idea of bringing together all these ingredients to make a Bond film. And I think that kind of ties in quite nicely with what you just said there, Tom, that, yeah, it's not so much about the guy, it's more about the situation, it's more about all the other stuff that comes 
with a Bond film because I don't know about you guys. I've um I remember going to one down in Australia when I think Skyfall came out, and it was like a sort of mini premiere, and I was just amazed at how much of an event it is, even like halfway around the world. Because and I think that's probably why, right? It's because there's so much that comes with Bond. It's not just the character. There's usually elements of of where he is, of you know the the music, the stunts. There's so much that goes into it. So yeah, I mean. Talk to me about that. What do you think, Brendan? The thing about the thing that separates the Bond films and that keeps it special is they're always trying to one up their last, you know, with with the stunts, with the special effects. And when they when they when they get it right, it it is incredible. Um, like Skyfall when mm. they blow Skyfall up, that's amazing. That was yeah. done for real. Um, some great set pieces in Skyfall. You've got the parkour in Casino Royale. But then when they don't do it right, so in Die Another Day, where it's just CGI, it's, it's, it, you, you lose the trust of the audience. But the audience, you know, that's what they want. They want these big set pieces and, and they're excited by it, but they want to see what's happening next. No Time to Die had, was delayed for two years and it, it kept the world waiting, going, they're just... You know, they they were they'd seen the trailers. We'd all seen the trailers, but we wanted more. We were like, we've seen what the trailer can do. Let's see what's what's in the actual film. Um, yeah, it's just a, a a package that people want more of. They seem to come back for more and more. There's a there's mm. a fine line with Bond films, which is why they have stood the test of time for so long. In that, it's very easy to make get a, get a production company loads of money and throw amazing set pieces and just throw ridiculous stunts and stuff at a film you've seen you can see it all the time and quite often those films don't work like the stunts alone and the amazing set piece and stuff is not enough to make people love a film for ages but bond the bond the bonds that have worked best throughout the series are the ones that do this thing where they they're showing you things that are amazing but they're still still attainable for the everyone to understand so all the places that he travels to you can travel to those it's not like apart from the moon <laughs> but that's a roger moore thing so um but uh all those places that people people uh, that you see bond travel to they're things that you can do they're not they're not unattainable things you can you can always go and go you can always at the back of your head go oh, i can do this i can do these things it's the same with the stuff that he does like he's not superman you can watch it and go oh i could probably fight like that um, or you could go, I could drive a car like that, all these things. And it's, it's a very nice balance um, in the, the Bond films that work that makes engages the audience to the point where they feel like they could do it. So it's an attainable goal. And it's not like Marvel or it's not like, I suppose even Bourne is a bit ridiculous because he's just too good. Whereas, you know, um, Craig, he, even though he's quite good at fighting in, in, in his series of films, He's not flawless. He's he makes a lot of mistakes, and he's he's in some of them he's an old man and he's struggling. And I think that's why it works because you're following this character because you you're invested in the fact that it isn't an unattainable goal. Yeah, it's kind of like you reach the edge of fantasy, but you don't go over that line. Yeah. You stop. And that yeah, and we're talking about die another day, and that's where they've made the mistake and they've taken it too yeah. far because most of the stuff in that film you could never do. It could never happen. Yeah. It's just ridiculous, mm. and the, and then the audience just go, well, it's not, not interesting. That is, I've seen a thousand films like this, and I'm not engaged. But then you look at Goldfinger, 
he doesn't do anything in that film that a normal man couldn't do. So, um, and that's that's why it's so. Drinks a mint julep. He does drink a lot of mint yeah. julep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's fascinating. I'd honestly never considered that angle before, but now that you say it, that's that's really true. Actually, I think the films that personally I think land better with me are where they feel that they're more grounded in reality. Even even stuff down to like the gadgets, for instance. Mm. You know, I know you guys are uh, fans of Skyfall, and that's a, quite a popular one. I think that film made quite a conscious effort to ground that side of it. I remember watching the film and thinking, oh, he's literally given like a gun with a little handprint on it and, yeah. and a radio and that's it. But to your point, it's attainable yeah. and he uses them quite well. And it's it's sort of like it harkens back to some of those other eras where, yeah, okay, he's got a bulletproof car or something like that. Yeah. But it's not completely outside of the world of belief. You're like, yeah, someone could conceivably build that. And it could work. And also, wouldn't it be kind of cool to drive one? Yeah. Well, look at most of the, the gadgets that they have in the Bond films. Um, and within about 10 years, normally they exist because they're, mm. they're not sci-fi things. They're, they're like, they've looked at the current trends and the current technology and gone, well, this, is, this isn't a leap. This, this is something that we could have. And, you look, and some of the stuff like that, you know, in Tomorrow Never Dies, he's got the little remote-controlled car with the, that he's on a smartphone with. Back in those days, mm. smartphones didn't really give you the ability to see nice video capture and you couldn't control stuff from it. You could easily have a remote control car now. It's it's not, mm. not that, that big a deal. Yeah, tes- Teslas are all remote yeah. controlled by you. You can use your phone. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you but, go. They but you still it. couldn't paraglide off a cliff on a <laughs> makeshift board on a tidal wave. That's that's not going to that's not going to no. wash. <laughs> With a giant CGI wave behind yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not. But again, like you said, balance. Yeah. Uh, but it's, that leads on to something else I, I find with the Bond franchise is there is also an element of aspiration. Because obviously he's he tends to move within the very high class part of society. The suits are a big thing. I didn't realise this until recently. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about it. Um, there's one guy in particular that really likes his suits and every time comments on the makes and no doubt that person whoever designs them does very well because people go oh i like that i'm gonna go and get the the bond suit and then there's the bond watch you know i think has it been omega it's been pretty much always omega yeah years. i think i think yeah roger moore had a cassia yeah. at one point but it's pretty much always omega. <laughs> okay because yeah you see those advertised and of course we've mentioned you know like the cars famously like the Aston Martins and things like that. So I feel like there's an element of aspiration as well to Bond. Well, the product placement oh, thing yeah. goes back to Fleming. Fleming was massive on, in the, in the book, okay. massive on, on naming brands that he associated himself with and also, like you say, aspired, mm. aspired to. So that was very much to, to help create the character and the feel of who Bond is and what brands that he, he uses. Um, and it's something yeah. that's translated into mm. the films as well. Uh, the literary literary technique of using brands to describe people is very it's a very easy way because people are so entwined with how much things cost and what are the best brands and things like that that simply by saying somebody drives a certain type of car you can save yourself two pages of like writing because you don't need to explain how much money he earns and stuff it's so easy to do um and with the a lot of films obviously use product placement but 
it can be very different in 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 most films product placement tends to be whoever's paid the most money to be involved in that film and that does happen in the bond films i mean he drinks heineken in um uh, which one is it spectre a lot he drinks a lot of heineken and that's not really a very bond thing is it heineken i don't even drink heineken because there's i like nicer beers than that so it's hardly an aspirational thing but a lot of the time with bond films the the, the brands that they work with are not chosen because somebody's paid the highest price. It's because they, they're they the brands that they want Bond to be associated with. So it's like a part and parcel sort of deal. And the Aston Martin thing is the best example because Aston Martin don't actually have a deal with um, Eon in the way that they just pay them loads of money to put the cars in. They work with them in by just giving them cars. So there's no money's not changing hands. It's just there's two people that have want this same thing from from the brands and it works perfectly in the late 90s um uh, brosnan had bmws and they were um paid for as part of a big marketing deal um over three films and no but a lot of people bought bmws off the back of it but bmws aren't that expensive in comparison to aston martins so everyone had them if you go online now, the Z3, I actually, I was, I'm trying to buy a car at the moment, and there's a Z3 down the road, and I think it was about two and a half grand. Aston Martins, you're not going to be able to get an Aston Martin for two and a half grand. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. It wasn't, people don't associate that with Bond because it isn't aspirational. Like, no, it's, it's attainable. A, get, it's attainable, yeah. but getting a BMW car is like, you can get one. You may you have to save up quite a bit or sell, sell your house, but... You know, you can get these cars. And that's why they're the best brands that they work with and the places they go to and stuff are those sort of um, amazing ones that, you know, they, that do sound like you, you like something amazing that he could be involved with. That's fascinating. So it seems to be the line that they have to toe is his actions can be attainable, but what he possesses and what he uses are aspirational. Yeah. So it's sort of somewhere in but the I middle. But I think even aspirational... Uh, even with Aston Martins, most people are probably in the back of their heads thinking, one day mm. I can own an Aston Martin. It's not, it's not unattainable. And it, True. So even with that, even with something like, you know, having a car that's worth 250 grand or whatever, it's still, people could still think it's like, I could do that. I, I can do it. It's not owning a spaceship. If you owned a spaceship, people would be like, oh, God, I can't own a spaceship. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I, f- I feel like that would be a quite a short Bond film as well if he had that kind of those kind of resources. Yeah, you know? well, I imagine if they kept Brosnan on for another one, he definitely would have had a spaceship because there's nothing else he could have done. How dare <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah. Time machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, but yeah, there's uh, one thing I, I wanted to talk to you guys about because another thing I think's what kind of makes these films events is the original music. Because it feels like every Bond needs to have its own original song. And some of them are just so good, aren't mm. they? I mean, you mentioned Goldfinger, and I think all of us can instantly hear that chorus just ringing out. And there's, there's obviously countless other examples. So I'm, I'm curious, do you guys have favourite Bond songs then? Oof. Go on, Brendan. That's a tough question. We've not really discussed favourite theme songs on mm. the podcast, have we? Well, yours is Madonna, isn't it? Madonna, Madonna day, the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only one you like absolutely oh, not wow. um, uh, how does that no don't you don't want to do it to yourself oh, no <laughs> yeah, maybe not then 
Um, yeah, again, you've got eras. It's you know over mm. sixty years, you've got different, many different uh, styles of music. But yeah, Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, they're the the classic ones. Um, I do like View to a Kill. The song for View to a Kill. Okay. Um, that's yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. And The Living Daylights as well. And they're quite very eighties, but um, I'm a fan of those. Yeah. Um, and obviously Skyfall is is incredible, and it's a timeless. It's up there with Shirley Bassey. Um, I'd love mm. to see Adele come back and do another. Actually, um, I, th- I think mm. of, of the uh, of the recent songs. I mean. Chris Cornell's "You Know My Name" was the was absolutely mm. perfect for for that that film. Um, it's an incredible song. Um, yeah. So I can't really I can't really give you an answer on, on favorite. There's there's a lot of good ones. Uh, there's also a lot of mediocre ones. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult one. I definitely put if you were to twist my arm or put a gun to my head and say choose a Bond song now, I probably would go for Goldfinger just because that. Mm-hmm. We come back to this quite a lot in the fact that those first few Bond films, um, they're all sort of pulling together the elements that come together to to shape the whole franchise from that point. And Goldfinger is the is the is the peak of that. It's basically all of the right points coming together to make this perfect soup of Bond ingredients. And for that reason, there's there's like the score, the the song the characterization, the script, everything. It just comes together perfectly in that film. And the every song, or not every song, but most songs that have come after it have looked back at that Goldfinger song and tried to in some way replicate what it did. It might not try and sound like it, but it will try and have that same sort of like build and power of that song so that it, it, it defines the character. And... That song is also probably the first one that really thought in depth about matching the song to the film. So it just the way that what how they're singing about the character and all that stuff, it just works perfectly. And again, it's a lot of the later ones, if they don't do that, you can kind of tell that it's just a song. Die another day. That song has got nothing to do with the film. I mean, she'd struggle to actually do it song about that film i don't think anyone would but that is a great example because she didn't write that song for the film she it was a song she already had so it was essentially just picking a song and sticking it on a film doesn't work you've Mm. got to you've got to think about it it's got to all meld together and that's you could do that with any part of the bond series if you pick a bond film and one element hasn't been thought about in terms of that film it's just you're going to know. It's just going to be so jarring as soon as, you, as soon as it happens. It's funny you say about them going back to Goldfinger because what did they do after a six year hiatus with Goldeneye? They were like, right, we've got to got to try and nail this and and hark back to those days, and and that's what Goldeneye does as well. Oh yeah, it's good. it's a complete. You're taking pretty much the same type of musical artist, same type of yep. song, the same word. Yep. Um, but yeah, but that, but that's a quite a nice point to raise because they didn't do that with Craig, which I think is a very good thing. They didn't mm. get lazy with that. And they, but the Chris Cornell song has the same power and sort of theme strength as those songs, but in a different style, which is, is, is good. It just shows that you got to move with the trends and make sure that, um, you're doing it, but you're still keeping with what people expect to hear in the time that you hear it. 
Yeah, for sure, Matt. I mean, the Chris Cornell one stands out to me. That'll be of no surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast. <laughs> but it, um, to your point, it was, yeah, I think of that. I think of Adele. I think of Diamonds Are Forever, mm. you know, Live and Let Die. You're right. That there's a there's a fine art to those songs, like capturing the mood of the film, but also being so good yeah. that you can hear them on the radio and quite happily listen to them and go, yeah, this is this is a really good tune. It's it's a it's a tough it's a very tough thing to do to make. Mm. It's the same with all the Bond stuff. It's all very difficult to get it right, mm. but with the songs, you've got to it's it's got to be good enough that people want to listen to it. If it's not, if it just sounds like an old Bond song and people don't want to listen to it, you've failed. It's like Billy Eilish song. I think that's a fantastic mm. song. It's very different mm. than most of the Bond songs that exist, but that's one of the biggest played songs of the past few years. And there's a lot of people listening to that song, don't even watch Bond, don't even like it. It's just a good song that sits in its own little, you know, amazing music bubble. Um, but it also fits perfectly with the film, which is the other half of the battle. It ties in nicely with the the... the the concept of the film so you've ticked all these boxes with it and that's why it, it takes so i mean they probably spend months and months trying to get the right song testing out all these ones we've talked about some of the um the other soundtracks for the films that we've done specials on and it's amazing to hear like some of the people that did attempts at the the films I'm trying to remember who they are now but um uh, dimes are forever i think had lots of famous singers trying out their songs on it and they didn't use any of them and eventually obviously went to Shirley Bassey but it just shows that the, the getting the song right is so important and they will spend ages to do it yeah apart from on Die Another Day <laughs> <laughs> I think um didn't Alice Cooper do Man With Golden Gun they did a version of that oh really yeah and Pulp did Tomorrow Never Dies didn't they Mm. I'd actually like to hear those. Yeah, they're available on the internet. You can. <laughs> just, it's, just... It's, it's interesting. Um, Radiohead, Radiohead did one for okay. Spectre, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I heard about that, and I was really shocked that they didn't go with it. When you hear that versus, no offense, Sam Mendes' version, you kind of like, but it's an obvious choice, surely. But you know, hey, it was, what was what was happened happened, <laughs> and they got an Oscar, so I'm sure they they're happy with that. But there you go. Um, I mean, that also reminds me of talking about music. I mean, the theme, right? That's another thing I think that helps to make Bond so iconic and legendary. It's it's like um, Jaws. It's like Star Wars. It's like Indiana Jones. You mentioned it's like those instant. Yes, I know what that song is. As soon as you hear the first few notes, you're like, yeah, that's the Bond theme. <laughs> and what I'm amazed about is when you watch any of the movies across any of the eras, it always works. Like it always kind of gets you excited when the when it kicks in. Yeah. Well, they um, they we were talking about. I can't. What was the last film we did, Brendan? Uh, Doctor No. Doctor No. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about Doctor No, and um, obviously that's the first film, so it's the first time that you actually heard the Bond theme played over various scenes. And I was watching it, just thinking this works so well, but. If that was the first Bond film and I was seeing it for the first time, I'm not sure if it would have that same impact on me as it does now. Because, as you say, those there's theme songs that are just so ingrained in culture because you instantly know what the song is. You can play the first three notes of Bond and you know instantly that it's James Bond. So in a lot of the later Bond films... They, you can stick it on anything and literally anything. There's a, is it the Roger Moore? Is it for you to kill where he's just um, walking around a bedroom? Yeah. 
Uh, no, and they stick there's, it on. There's, there's a lot where they just overuse it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It can it can just be. Um, I think they do it, Doctor No, don't they? He's just walking through an airport. Yeah, got, walking through the airport, and he's not doing yeah. anything. And they're playing the music, and suddenly it, it becomes. If you, you think, oh, this is good, great yeah. scene. <laughs> if you took that off, it'd just be a man walking through an airport. Well, but if you look, a, a good example is uh, Never Say Never mm. Again. Have you have you seen that one? The uh, the one that isn't part of canon. Um, it's uh, a remake of Thunderball with Sean Connery. I think I have actually. Yeah, that was probably on telly a long time yeah. ago. Well, th- well, that one yeah. is is um, it wasn't made by Eon. It was made by uh, Warner Brothers, and so they didn't have the rights to the music. So it's a Bond film without right. Bond music. And if you watch that, I think somebody edited it with the Bond music on to show what it was like. But you watch that, and you instantly go, "God, this could really do with the Bond music." A lot of it, it has some <laughs> weird like. It's like just eighties jive guitar. Yeah, it's eighties style. Yeah, but it's... there is a YouTube clip of the opening five right. minutes with with Bond music on, and it does elevate it. It is instantly more yeah. watchable and more interesting. So yeah. the music is doing yeah. a lot of heavy lifting across the across the whole franchise. Really, mm. it's it's sort of notching it up to the next gear. It's um, yeah, it's an audio cue. It's like Pavlov's dogs. Yeah. You hear that music and you suddenly go, <laughs> right, this scene is action. I'm going to enjoy the action in this scene, and regardless of what it is. It's just, it's very clever. The, the, my favourite use like... of that theme, though, is at the end of Casino Royale. They'd not used the theme at mm. all throughout that film. Um, and then right at the end, yes. and he hadn't, he hadn't send, yeah. said Bond, James Bond either. And so David Arnold put mm. in that right at the end, a, a great composer, David Arnold, really understands the Bond, the music of Bond. Um, but yeah, it comes, he goes, Bond, James Bond, and it kicks in and instantly... the. The Pavlovian response in the audience is oh, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah. Instant applause. Like, yeah, you've got us. Oh, that could be an interesting experiment, actually. Just start inserting the James Bond theme, just for doing <laughs> stuff around the house, see if it makes it more <laughs> exciting. That was the best toast I ever had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm going to start doing that. Um, it's also made my intro music incredibly easy for this episode. But there you go. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering then for you guys, do you have a favourite Bond film? I wonder, because we've talked about favourite Bonds, favourite, you know, characters and eras, but is there any one movie that you're like, yeah, this is head and shoulders above everything else? And again, I I think this is your favourite. It doesn't have to be the best critically or whatever. It's just the one that you go, yeah, that's my favourite one. I'll stick that on any time. Go on, Wheatley, you go first. Well, mine's mine's always obvious and it is is the best one, but it's also my (laughs) favourite. And I don't know if it's... My favourite has changed over, over time and it... I think it probably will do as as time goes on, but um, I always come back to Goldfinger just because no matter how many times I watch all of the Bond films and I watch one and think, oh, this is better than I thought, or this is not as good as I thought, Goldfinger's never changed. Every time I watch it, I go, amazing, mm-hmm. this is just perfect. <laughs> and I think it's probably the reason why I stuck with it when I was younger as well. I think I think Goldfinger was the one that I... I, I it was probably on every Sunday, all these different Bond films, all the Roger Moore ones. Mm. But I think Goldfinger's the one that really made me stick with it. Okay. I'm going to probably be really boring and agree with... Uh, 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 oh, this doesn't happen. <laughs> this never happens. We never agree. Um, but what a... What, I thought what you were going to say tomorrow never dies, but, you know. Absolutely not. <laughs> Don't tempt yeah. him. But my, my top three are definitely interchangeable. Um, it's it's not as clear cut okay. as Wheatley's choice, 
Goldfinger is definitely my favourite and the best. Uh, I don't think it's going to change that it's the best. I, I can acknowledge that it's probably the best. Um, but from Russia with Love and Doctor No as well, the first three actually. <laughs> they should have just stopped after 1964. Don't bother with the rest. <laughs> but they're, they're all interchangeable, depending on... And that's the beauty of, of Bond, isn't it? There's a Bond for whatever mood you're in, really. Um, but from Russia with Love, I just like that it's... Despite what I said earlier about not liking the pace when I was younger, now the pacing is exactly what I love about it. It's it really slow. Mm. What now you're getting older? <laughs> your, your favorite what? Your favorite is going to be octopusy in about ten years. Yeah, when I'm making quiches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm only 27, and I can kind of identify with that already. What's yeah. what, what? What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm sort of a sucker for this newer era. I probably would just go basic answer, but um, Casino Royale was just such a huge thing when I saw that yeah. in cinema. Because unlike you, I, I I sort of enjoyed the the Piers Brosnan, but was like, yeah, these are sort of also a bit kind of silly in places, and mm. it's fine. And then I saw that film, and I was I'm sort of that right generation where it was like, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah. This is absolutely spot on. Um, but to your point, though, I, I do think about sort of a lot of the Sean Connery stuff. Goldfinger, I think, is an absolute standout. You're right. It's just, yeah, if you're going to say, like, to somebody, what's a quintessential Bond film? That's one you definitely, I would definitely show somebody and say, yeah, check this out. This has got everything in it. Yeah, it's a, it, we, we've we gone through this a bit before. We we have a, a listing of our favourite ones, and we're every time we do a review on the podcast, we revise the list to work out where every all these different films are but i think um casino royale is i think it must be second at the yeah. moment behind goldfinger um no Doctor but i no. think i haven't done goldfinger not go- oh yeah 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 of course i'm just i'm just getting yeah. ahead of it now <laughs> definitely gonna be number one um mm. but the ones that do well i think a casino royale is 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 a good example of this is is a, a film that sits on its own as a good film yeah that you don't need any mm. other films to to make it good and casino rail is perfect to that but if you were to watch skyfall maybe would be okay but out of context it's probably not anywhere near as good as casino Royale because there's a lot of elements that you need to understand it's a lot there's a lot of baggage in that film whereas casino Royale, it's just mm. so clean and smooth and you can just watch it every time and just enjoy it without finding any flaws in it yeah yeah but then by the time mm. you get to spectre oh it's a it's a whole mess if you get to spectre <laughs> Yeah, I think to your point, that's something that I don't know, in my opinion, what makes a good Bond film is it's something that's standalone. And you think that kind of goes in hand with the nature of the character, right? That he's a spy that goes on adventures. So inherently, if you're going to make one of these movies, you'd think you'd want them to stand out. And to come back to something you guys said earlier, I agree with you in that when they start doing this thing of trying to unpack the character and give him an origin story yeah. and make Blofeld his half brother oh. that's when it kind of starts to fall apart and you're like oh yeah you, you haven't no you, we don't no. we don't like this <laughs> this, this doesn't the, need the problem to with that is you really didn't need it it's enough like blo- being blofeld yeah. Yeah. that's enough why are yeah. they trying to retro sort of fit absolutely the story going it's, back it's a very yeah. modern story arc mm. way of going about things and it's it, they've never done it before i'm kind of hoping that when they do the next um bond they're going to go back to the idea of individual films instead of this big story arc because 
they made so many mistakes in that story arc that like normal people probably can overlook it but if you're really into bond you just can't overlook them and every time i rewatch it i see more of them i think why have they brought this up you just just don't need it you could have shaved off 45 minutes of this film and not not gone through this yeah. weird detail mm. well to that point i think you know quantum of solace exists because of that and, and that's why that film is the way it is because they were kind of my understanding is they were in between the rights of getting Spectre or something. Yeah. And so they had to kind of just make something up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so like when you then watch Spectre later on, it's like that entire film is just canceled out yeah. because it was just a warm up act. And you're like, well, Oh, there's so, uh, if, if you'd have done something else, if you would just said, let's send him off on a different adventure. Yeah. Yeah. They fine, that that would have been know? so simple. And Spectre, they didn't have yeah. to draw attention to the, any of the previous films. They could have just, True. just carried on. And you, you can talk about the, you didn't have to tie in the fact that Spectre had caused the previous two films. That's the biggest problem in in, in Spectre. Yeah, because they never planned that in the first place. If you like at the MCU, mm. if if they <laughs> hadn't have planned out the MCU, they just started adding bits and pieces on as they went along, and then saying, "Oh, um, actually, Iron Man, that suit that I that you've got, I made that." Oh, okay. Yeah, never mentioned that before. Um, so yeah, it's, you can't retcon. <laughs> these story arcs without losing a certain level of like quality from them and but the mm. problem i have is that they didn't need to mm. they didn't need to say that yeah. it, it wouldn't have made it any worse yeah um and then and then it leave, left a, a, a difficult task with no time to die where they're having to sort of patch things up and go right okay we need to sort of rectify what's happened yeah. um yeah mm. so yeah standalone next please just a nice on its own would be good. Yeah. I tell you something else I think that works when it's standalone, uh, and that we've kind of talked about a little bit, but that's I think villains and their accompanying henchmen. Mm. That's another thing I think that makes Bond so much fun to watch as each one usually comes with a interesting quirk or, you know, a, a sort of I don't know, trait or something. Do you guys have any favourite villains? Loads. <laughs> Loads. Yeah, the villains <laughs> are probably my favourite bit of it. I I'd say my favourite mm-hmm. villain. <sighs> Goldfinger, <laughs> but also Sca- Scaramanga. I'll get Scaramanga to mix it up a oh, bit. I was going to go Scaramanga. You okay. can't... Oh. You can have Goldfinger. You can have the same answer. That's fine. Yeah. Scaramanga. That's fine. There's no right I answers. quite no like answers. 006 in Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah I that's think, good. Uh, you know, per- perfectly cast as yeah. well. Sean Bean's fantastic. Um, and just mm. the, the, the whole, you know, betrayal, double agent. It's, it's, mm. it's very good. Spoiler alert, by the way. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> yeah spo- spoiler for all of these movies uh also that film's responsible for one of my favorite memes which is buying a pint it's so bizarre like I, I encourage people to go and look it up on youtube it's five seconds it's one of the strangest line readings you'll ever see but it's brilliant closing time james close call i'm your pint but um no i like that that's that's good and i guess again that's the other thing about the bond and about like you say when they're standalone films is you can have fun with that, you know, as a writer, you know, you can, you can come up with colourful characters and that sort of becomes a bit of a trope, I feel, with some of the films. After a while, they have their their base and they have their, yeah. you know, they have they have their sort of end of the world plot. Yeah. But it's still it's still kind of fun because, again, you get to see Bond run around and do what he does best. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a certain level of these Bond films in that those tropes, are, you kind of want mm. them um because yeah, yeah exactly what is it i can't remember the the analogy uh some old american president's axe 
Um, it, if you take out something from it, uh, if you take the handle away from it, and you've got the 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 head of the axe, you've st- it's still the same axe. But then you take the head off and then put another head on. Is it the same axe? So if you've got this film this bond series and you keep taking bits out and then replacing it with something else and then you haven't got the same bond film it's not bond anymore and that's that that consistency Mm. in the bond films is what people like in it people like the reassurance of things being what they know but they want it just slightly different that's that's the key with most sort of stories that exist in the world isn't it they want the same but slightly different um and it's the same with the 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 baddies you you always want the baddie to be slightly ridiculous Mm. you don't want just a normal bloke who is actually could kill bond you want somebody ridiculous who's gonna do something stupid so obviously you can't kill bond and that's happened in every single one even even in the craig area they're still ridiculous baddies the rami malik still like what is he doing why is he What, like the, the sheer uh, confusing process he's gone through to get to the what, what he's doing today is very very strange. Like if he was if it was a normal guy, yeah. if you were just a head of a, a, a mob and you wanted to kill Bond in the real world, just you just kill him. You just yeah, kill it's him a, and, just like your your favorite Goldfinger. He's playing golf with him. He's just yeah. Well, kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what you want. That's 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 the the, the baddies in in Bond are, are so important and. The best ones, I think, the Goldfinger and Scaramangas and, and Trevlin's a good example as well, is where it's it's about him and another man. It's not about um, you know, big armies trying to get him. And that's why the Blofeld stuff, the Blofeld works and it's the biggest trope in Bond and that's why Austin Powers follows it. But it's still not a very... It's still a ridiculous... He's a pantomime villain, basically. And that, that, that works for that era. And that era that we were talking about um it's also a very child childlike here it's like a kids mm. film um where kids like seeing big volcanoes and they like seeing flying little mini helicopters and and stuff like that and a and a boss the a baddie that's got big facial scars and a cat it's all very pantomime well it was written by but, roald um, dull what you expecting well that one was but <laughs> scaramanga uh, no, uh, well that one was but then a lot of uh, there's some pretty um copycat baddies that Morad as well drax and mm. Who's the other guy um, with the base underwater? Uh, I can't um, remember his name. But yeah. um, from Spy Love Me. But they Stromberg. are just ridi- They're all the same. They're all the same. It's a it's a weird boss that has a, a massive base, loads of money, an army, yeah. sharks, all these different things. And I think for me in those films, the baddies are the worst part. It's the Scaramanga is an amazing baddie because it's just him against Bond. Yeah. And same with Goldfinger, which is Mano El Mano. That's why the golf golf thing is so good. Um, sorry, but I don't think Daniel Craig ever has a a, a good stand. Silver, does he? I can't think Silver's of one. Silver's good. Silver's good, actually. Yes. Well, he's good for half of the film, and then when he starts dressing as a policeman, <laughs> sliding down <laughs> tube tube es- escalators, he loses a little bit of credibility. I like Lashif. He's good. Oh, he's yeah. very good. I forgot about the ship. Yeah, he has got a couple of good yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, but 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 when they start yeah, to focus on Blofeld, that's that. where it, it's like, uh, okay, right. Yeah. We, 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 you, there's a reason we've not listed yeah. as our, him as our favourite. You know, he's nowhere near. They've 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 done him too much. Um, yeah. He was far more mm. uh, imposing when you didn't see him on screen for the. For yes. The, you know, it was just yeah, yeah. his voice, and you saw the stroking of the cat, and that. That should have it. done that for five films. Yeah, they shouldn't have showed him 
so so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that could have that could have been better. And I always thought it was a bit of a waste of Christoph Waltz as an actor. It doesn't sort of get a lot to do with the no. role. No. And and the fact that he's meant to be his brother is just the strangest mm. concept ever. And as soon as he says that, you, yeah. as soon as you find it out, you suddenly go, "Oh God!" So there's a <laughs> so he's not just a yeah. baddie. He's got a load of <laughs> mental issues around this brother thing. Oh, okay, don't yeah. care. Yeah. Whereas if it was just he wants to take yeah. over the world because he's you know, yeah. power mad, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty, the simplicity of the best Bond films is that mm-hmm. is the simplicity. Mm-hmm. You want somebody who is evil. You don't you don't want to, you don't want them to redeem themselves in any mm-hmm. way. There are it's an evil person. Bond's a good person. Go and get yeah. it. Nowadays, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than that, but yeah, so he's like you look at Silver. Is very complicated. Even uh, uh, Trevelyan, 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 he's quite nuanced as well. Um, but yeah, I much prefer the really obvious baddies that just want to kill people or steal things, like Gustav Graves mm. in Die Another Day. I don't even remember what he was trying to do. <laughs> he built a big diamond thing in the sky, hadn't he? Um. You know. And wasn't there the guy that had yeah. diamonds in his face as well? Oh, I yeah. Yeah. That was another thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the most convoluted ah. bad in the world. But the problem with that one is he co- probably could have got away with it if he was just mm. a madman who was doing these things. But they also tried to add layers of humanity mm. to him where you try to understand mm. his reasoning behind doing it. Don't care, mate. Yeah. Don't care. Just to, carry on. To that, to that point... Um, obviously, I don't want to go too heavy on spoilers because it's still in the cinemas at uh, this time. And when by the time this comes out, I, I thought most people would have seen it, but still. Um, can you explain to me what Rami Malek's villain was all about in the film? Because I, I've seen it. I loved the movie. I was really confused by what his motivations were, though. I, no, I ab- didn't get it. I don't know if I missed something. A- abs- or- yeah, he's the most confusing yeah, character. And uh, Blofeld would have mm. killed him ages ago. So, yeah, so yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. you know, he wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be a thing. And yet he's built this yeah, garden, he's... you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I got. I was like, oh, well, he's, he's enthusiastic yeah. about horticulture, yeah. okay. Um, and what's this got to do with blowing up the world? Well, I, I think I, I that they, that film, and I, I think I said this on the podcast, um, I, I think they didn't really put a lot of thoughts or effort into Remy Malik's character because they didn't want him to be that important in it i think it was it's all about craig it's his last film it's all about tying up all the bond loose ends so really you don't want and i'm glad they didn't turn it into some sort of i don't know his his nephew or something (laughs) like that um and i'm your cousin three times yeah i I, I just didn't really care about him but it didn't matter because it wasn't about him anyway he was just a an object that was doing stuff but um right yeah I, i enjoyed blofeld in no time to die though um, he was. Mm, they did him yeah. well. They did him well. That was my biggest fear. Quite, quite a decent redemption they've, they've done there. The the entrance was fantastic, um, because mm. it went on for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it reminded me of that bit in the Holy Grail where like uh, John Cleese is coming over the hill and it just keeps <laughs> happening. I was, I was looking at my watch at one point, like that's a really long hallway. <laughs> Uh, there's also a lot of gesturing in that scene again without spoiling it for anybody that that took me out of the film a little bit but still thought it was funny mm, yeah 
Um, and you're right. Yeah, definitely a nice a moment for Christoph Waltz to do something fun with the character. Yeah, I think uh, th- th- the Christoph Waltz Blofeld stuff in Spectre really mm. soured my taste of Bond for a while. And the lead up to No Time to Die, I was saying to these guys, I'm not excited about mm. it because I'm fairly certain. I'm basically going in expecting a really stupid film about Blofeld. Um, mm. So when I saw his, how they done him in that film, I was very pleased because I thought well, they've actually tied it up nicely and they've not made any stupid errors. He didn't mention, like, I'm not going to too much depth, but they don't talk about him being his brother very much. Mm. So that's that was a good thing. Yeah, definitely a fair bit of retconning, mm. um, but effective. Yeah effective yeah. and again at time of recording I, it is out i think by the time i put this out um it should probably still be in cinemas so if someone's listening and they haven't yeah go see it why not it's it's i think it's a good send-off for the character it's it's a nice way for him to wrap up the story and i think it does a pretty good job of tying up some very messy content yeah. well I, I went with my mum and dad and my mum and dad don't like anything mm good um <laughs> every time like every time they, they say oh we're going to see this tonight it'll be like the worst film that's out at the moment so i took them and i said look just just you know don't take it too seriously just you know enjoy yourself i bought you ice and popcorn they absolutely loved it and uh so it's they've i think there they've done go. a really good job of it in that they have managed to not focus on one demographic or one group so it's not just for the fans it's not just for the general people, like Die Another Day. Die Another Day was not for the fans. Die Another Day was... If we do this, more people will watch it. And they did. It made more money than any of the Bond film. But the fans didn't like it. And that's that's the balance you've got to get. Hmm. I'd say one thing I, I thought I did very well, um, and I'd love to talk a bit more about this, is I think it helped to kind of evolve the Bond girl a bit more. Uh, in this story like she's got a lot more to do and has a much bigger arc and in, and that helps that um she's she's a carryover from a previous film but i wonder what you guys make of that because that's another thing that's a big part of the bond movies and has definitely changed uh over the last six well it had years. to <laughs> i mean if you watch if you watch a connery film yeah. it's uh it's it's absolutely ridiculous what you know how how women are treated and portrayed um, very problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, my my issue with with No Time to Die and the character of Madeline is I just I don't care about that relationship because I don't I don't see them enjoying each other's company at all. Yeah, like, I've not seen all this. Oh, we're really in love. Show me because I've not seen it. So my issue with that is that I didn't care about the relationship. I can see what they're trying to do, but for me, I just didn't buy it. Um, in terms of uh, Bond women that they did well, I thought um, Lashana Lynch was fantastic. Um, and what's the... Anna, Anna de Armas was... That scene was excellent in Cuba. So yeah. they're, they're, they're definitely yeah. mm-hmm. portraying and treating women definitely for the better. Um, and I hope that continues. Oh, it will continue. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's always a difficult one with Bond because um, the history of of the female leads in Bond films has has been a very murky past, really. And there's there's been some good high points, but um, they've never really ever got it right ever um, d- until and apart from Vesper Lind, I mm. think. So 
up, up until Daniel Craig area, the, the the Bond women were really a prop as part of the film that you just you just put in there um, because you expected it the same way you expected stunts and the same way you expected um, amazingly nice locations. And we, we talked a bit um, the other day about um, uh, the original Bond um, girls that were in like Doctor No and uh, From Usher of Love. And when they talked about getting these ladies into the films, they didn't talk of them about them like act. They didn't care if they were actors. They just had no interest in them. If they if they act if they could act, they weren't interested. They were looking purely for the most amazing looking women they could find to go on this to, to be shown on screen. So that when people watched it, they'd go, "Amazing! That person's not real," mm. which obviously doesn't you can't do that anymore. It's, it's a ridiculous concept. Um, but in the more modern ones, I think Vespaland was probably the only one they've ever got right because she was a really well-rounded character. She had a chemistry with Bond. She had lots of depth to her character and um, she had a great ending. And she ended up, I know she dies at the end of it, but she ended on a high, that character did, because she didn't just turn into a useless woman, which is what they normally turn out to be at the end of Bond films. And I, I do think that the new one, um, Anna Damas is great, doesn't really get used very much. Um, she would have been amazing if she was had a much bigger mm. role in that. Um, and uh, what's the name of the the main one? Madeline. Madeline Swan, yeah. Um, I just don't think she's needed in this in 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 the way that she's used, um, which is a bit of a shame because they've obviously put a lot of effort into No Time to Die to really sort of adjust the way that Bond women are used in the films and the the amount they're used and how they interact with Bond. But I still don't think they've I think they got it right with Casino Royale and I just don't think they haven't really, they've got it all right with uh, No Time to Die. It's amazing as we're doing the podcast and we're doing each film and each actor that's played a, a Bond woman. And they start off, you're like, yeah, this character is well-rounded. Okay, let's let's see. And they all just nosedive in the final third of each film. <laughs> and it's a pattern that yeah. continues time and time and time again. And yet, and yet yeah. these actors that are playing them, they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm happy to play a, a Bond girl that's got something different. You know, she's strong. Yeah. She's like, yeah, she is to a point. Um, there's a, there's a, um, Mark O'Connell, who's a, a, a Bond writer, he talks quite a lot about every time there's a Bond premiere, there's always a Bond woman stood on the, on the red carpet saying exactly the same thing about how th- that she picked the script because it was a counterpart to Bond and it was a really strong, powerful female presence. And if you look at any of those films that they've said that about, they're not. Because they may start that way <laughs> and they may have a fight with Bond mm. at the start and then what the shoots a gun and saves Bond. By the end of it, they're in bikinis, they're yeah. useless, screaming, um, not, and Bond has to save them, which is just... Yeah, it, that happens all happens in, all the way up to Brosnan's. Yeah, Dine of the Day, where um, Rosamund oh, Rosamund yeah. Pike right at the end, just co- costume yeah. change, just just cause, yeah, and it's it's yeah, like, into a, a bra, yeah, isn't it? absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's useless. And the Jinx, the Halle Berry character, who mm. is basically a CIA agent who's meant to be Bond's CIA like version in the US. She starts off as being like Bond. She's doing the same stuff as Bond, 
by the end of it, she's needs to be saved again and she's absolutely useless. She does kill someone at the end, but it's not No, good. it's like she forgets all of her training just because yeah. she has to in that final third, otherwise Bond can't yeah. be the hero. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, again, it's, it's something that, I mean, to your guys' point, it does seem to be changing for the better yeah. in this new era. I mean, hopefully moving forward, uh, it will continue to improve, which... And it leads me on to something I'm really curious about from your guys' point of view. I mean, where do you see the the franchise going moving forward? Because this, this is Craig's last film. He's wrapped it up. I think Amazon's bought it now. Is that right? Amazon so where it, do you yeah. guys think where it's going now? Go on, go on, BJ. I don't know. That's that's the thing. There's so many places they could take it. Um, they could do a full MCU style across the board, you know, TV shows, films. But I think with Barbara Broccoli still on board producing, I think that won't happen. Um, I think the, the Broccoli family have been integral to the way Bond is portrayed, the way Bond is made um, and the way it's distributed. So I think I think we'll stick to, to films, just standalone films, Um but I mean, they they could do a one set in the sixties, so they could do a period piece if they wanted to. Um, they could do a full. I mean, I would imagine they're going to do a reboot reboot of some some form. But um, they could do really old Bond. Um, they kind of did that on No Time to Die, which is a shame because I'm still pinning my hopes on Pierce Brosnan making a comeback, playing like, like Logan style Bond. Um, but who knows? It's certainly exciting to see who they announce next year. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that I think there'll be a big change. Um, they, with the end of the Brosnan era, which wasn't that long ago, and the Craig era, they've kind of they can't go down either of those routes. They can't do a Craig story arc again in the same way. It's just it'll just be boring. People won't watch it. They can't do a Brosnan style thing because people aren't into that sort of ridiculous pantomime action anymore so they're gonna to have to do something different and I, I agree with brendan i think it's very likely that they'll go period just because it's never been done before and it would it's it's on trend like if you had a period bond people would love it people would love the way it looked people would love the music and it would just do really well it might just be a one-off and they've never done that before but um it's definitely going to be a big shift in how we look at bond i think hmm and do you think that will come as well in the form of casting? Because it feels like whenever you talk about it, I mean, before Craig had officially retired from Bond, you know, there, there's always rumours floating around about who the next one's going to be. And there's discussions of maybe they'll change the race, maybe they'll change the, the gender and so so on and so forth. I mean, what do you guys think is the future of, of James Bond in that regard in casting? I think it'll be a while until they... Um... I think the gender discussion is something that is going to go on for a while, uh, but I don't mm. think that will happen anytime soon. And, and Barbara Broccoli has said that Bond is a man and will stay as a man. And um, and and Craig said a good thing. I think it was Craig who said that it's not an argument about whether there should be a female Bond. It's why aren't we writing a character who's as good as Bond for women? And I think that's a good argument. There's no reason why... Yeah, you just you know unless there unless there was a clear reason why you do it, 
you know, he's, he don't just do it for the sake of it. Um, obviously, the the, the, the sort of um, uh, where Bond comes from is pretty irrelevant these days, and 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 um, what race um, Bond is. So, yeah, I mean, that's very likely that that could happen. Um, definitely don't think there's any objections to that in the world. So, um, yeah, but I think the difficult thing will be. Um, the overall cast of the film, because one of the things we talked about is Dame Judi Dench. They kept Dame Judi Dench on from the Brosnan era into the Craig era, because you that consistency is something you need. You need to have something that's grounding Bond into the previous Bond, so that it's it's not jarring. If you suddenly just change everything and put a completely new Bond in, people watching go, "Ooh, hold on, I'm not used to this." You need something where people go, "Ah." Oh, Oh, it's okay. James, Doody Dench is there. I'm all right. So I know where I am now. Um, so that's going to be a big one. I, I have a feeling, unless they do go, period, that they will keep the key players like uh, Fines and um, uh, Money Penny and the rest of them. I think they're they're young. Uh, well, most of them are really young, so they'd they'd fit in with it really nicely. But you still and, and everyone loves all those characters as well. They've if they if they kept them, it would be fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'd be surprised if they started completely fresh. But obviously, if they went to the sixties, you'd have to. I think if they went to the sixties, mm. you could argue that the era and the music is is the sort of the crossover where you can mm. you're you're pulling yes. that across rather than a an actor that's played that role before. You've got it's Bond yeah. has been in the sixties. The music is sixties. You know, you've got that that's your continuity there. Um, in terms of Casting the next Bond, I think as long as it's the right person um, for the for the role, I th- and I think and I I trust broccoli Barbara Broccoli to to do the right thing. It it doesn't matter. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. She'll pick yeah. the right person. Um, the, the the biggest concern is probably the age of the person. That that's you know mm. where where do you go? Do you go twenties or thirties or? Do you start in the in the forties? I mean, it depends how long they see the tenure of the next Bond actor. But a period piece could actually be the way. Like a one-off would be a good sort of reset to while they're going away thinking about the next step. They could just do this one-off period. would Would be quite interesting to do that. Um, but yeah, in terms of the uh, supporting cast, uh, how No Time to Die ended. I don't think you can keep them on. That's that's my concern. I want them to stay on. Don't get me wrong. I, I I think they're great, but I don't know. I don't know if you can. They'll forget it. They'll, they'll just move on and forget that last okay. bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I like I like what you guys are saying there. I think that could be interesting. I for one would love to see a, a period piece from Bond. I think like a one-off, like you said, could be really fun and it's different. And I guess that's the the key, yeah. right? Is what you were saying earlier. Is if you're going to make the next series work, it's got to be different. Yeah. And as you say, they clearly they've they've got the finger on the pulse and they're keeping an eye out. Um, and yeah, I, I'm always excited. I'm always excited to hear who will be the next person. I mean, I never really care that much. I'm not one of these people that gets any. You, did, you didn't set up a website about Daniel Craig. <laughs> happens. Yeah, that that's the thing that cracks me up, right? I remember, I remember that. I remember the people being like, "Oh, but he's blonde." It's like, mm. what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, who? He's he's you know, you look him up on IMDb and you go, "Oh, he's an established actor." 
just give him a go, see see what he's like, and he was perfect for the role. Yeah, so. but it was majority of people who hadn't who, seen who, his who career. Cares? They were just just angry. And the website's still right. up as well. Um, yeah, yeah, of course it is. So yeah. they'll, they'll get their day next year, and then they can moan about yeah. the next person. The, I mean, this is something we talk about in nearly every episode is that there's always some corner mm. of the fandom which is very pretentious and protective and i i just kind of brush mm. them aside if i'm being honest yeah. i just i don't care <laughs> i don't care <laughs> but um no i mean I, I wonder if you guys is there anything else you want to talk about with bond or any sort of key things that you think are really just important to you or you love about it mm. i don't know I, th- I think for me i often talk about this in that the reason that I like, I, I think Bond is so good is that it's it's almost like following the history of popular culture. To to mm. to follow Bond, if you you can take any Bond at any point, you can kind of understand the culture of that period of time. Um, so, and there's no other series that's ever done that. I don't think it's basically followed the whole history of cinema through how it's how it's all made. All of the you see some quite interesting bits about the earlier Bond films and how they were filmed and how they have issues translating that to modern cameras and things like that. But um, a lot of the stuff that happens in in Bond is at the forefront of how those things are done. So you look at some of the the ways that they did the title sequences of, of Bond, the, like the opening credit sequences. They were revolutionary when they first came around. The way that um, Morris Binder used to pull together these title sequences they were like new ways of using using film to do stuff and that's across the board of bond they're always trying to do that um and i imagine and i i can't we've not we did do casino royale but that's the only one we've done of craig so far so i can't remember there's anything in craig films that's akin to that but they definitely they find ways to do things better um and i I think following the bond series you can see that because you you sort of follow that journey as you go along. They don't stick to one format, but they always have a general theme of how they do it. Uh, underwater filming in Thunderball as well. That was something oh, they, yeah, they wanted yeah. to try out. They're like, we've got this technology. Let's let's make it. Yeah. Maybe it's too much underwater, but you know, uh... <laughs> <laughs> <For> hour and a half. <laughs> but but they're they're not afraid to sort of embrace that new new technology that's that's moving forward. Um, yeah, and and that's what. I think the relevant keeping themselves relevant is what is part yeah. of the charm of Bond. Um, it is like yeah. a little time capsule as well, like you say. You can go back yeah. and you watch a, you watch a sixties one and go, ah, oh, okay, that's that's what life was like then, and and just, that's the world Bond yeah. Bond sort of running around in, and yeah, yeah. But speaking about the the text that's keeping stuff um, modern, that's one thing I actually would like to see in the old style if they went back and did a, a period piece because i think technology has slightly ruined a lot of mm. the newer ones because like you can do anything they just go and see q and go q can you find me all of these people and log into their bank details and all this stuff and I'm like yep sure just give me two mm. minutes in the at the old q we used to go to him and say can you give me a bomb that's smaller than this and he'd go oh <laughs> yes don't you worry and that's all he could do here's a, a attache case with a knife in it Oh, amazing! That's fantastic. But yeah, nowadays yeah. all of the they've pretty much covered everything. Like they've done, they've done social media. Yeah, they they've did. Tomorrow uh, never dies, didn't they? So they've pretty yeah. much done media. Like the, the the Craig ones, they've really ticked off a lot of um, the sort of modern thing, the, the modern tropes that 
you can't redo. Yeah. So he's got that whole sort of surveillance system around the world. Inspector yeah. can't do that now because it would be exactly the yeah. same. Nanotech. Um, nanotech. Done. Can't do that again. What was the one? What was Silver doing? Um, he had some tech. It was kind of like hacking and yeah, it was a lot of yeah. that. He was, that was it? a revenge one, mm. wasn't it? So maybe not so much, mm. but yeah, there's, there's like, it's very limited what you can do. And they, they really struggle, I think, to come up with concepts that work in the olden days of Bond. It was yeah. easy. Giant lasers. You had Russians. Yeah. Yeah. We, you had <laughs> Russians, you had a common enemy and you could just do films about trying to get, take down the Russians. Yeah. As soon as that was all over, it's all like, um, in the nineties, Oil, oil. Um, what was the one? What was not enough? It's all about the. Oh, that is yeah. It's um, the um, it is the oil, isn't it? It's, it's all about the yeah. oil, which was obviously a big thing at the time. And then the media in tomorrow never dies. And then God, die laser. What was that about? Sun. Laser. <laughs> was it just about laser? It's that giant laser's never yeah. been on. They went backwards. Yeah, lasers have never been on trend. <laughs> They're useless. That, that's a note. That's a free note for you there, Barbara Broccoli. If you're listening, no, no, no more lasers. lasers. More lasers. <laughs> but um, it, it, I, th- I think the it's M that says it in No Time to Die, isn't it? That we can't see the common enemy now. You know, they're behind a computer screen, and, mm. and that's all yeah. well and good, but it doesn't make for interesting viewing. No, it's difficult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think to your point, it's it's almost like what Skyfall started to address a little bit of. Do we need people mm. running around doing this? It's sort of commenting on how arcane it is, but then, of course, it ends up yeah. being useful in the yeah, end. Yeah. But then, like to your point, maybe that's that's the clue. Then it's like we'll need to mm. go backwards because, like you say, moving forwards, well, it's not going to be very entertaining if next Bond villain is some twelve-year-old yeah, kid. That's it. And yeah. He's got yeah. an app. Yeah, he just presses a button. It's, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, on a on a, a, a simpler level as well. I just one thing that always annoys me about movies these days and i watch a lot of old films it's things like mobile phones and social media because it's so difficult to write any sort of script or have any sort of cohesive storyline with mobile phones and social media because you, anything you do you just go well why wouldn't you have just done mm. that and mm. they would know yeah whereas you look at the old ones yeah. and they go i can't get to a phone i can't tell people that i'm going to get murdered yeah. that way if you're if it's set now you just go i'm just about to be murdered oh right, well it's okay. funny you say that you know home alone is coming out to Disney Plus, oh, that's yeah. set modern day, and I'm just mm-hmm. thinking, right? Uh, can't you yeah. just just text him from the yeah? From the te- airport. We're text him, back. do a TikTok video. It, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it's maybe it's maybe his phone's <laughs> broken in it or something. The whole maybe network's down. How convenient! Yeah, the network's yeah, down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or he just yeah. sit and play Halo <laughs> all for three days. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah, be a problem. No, they'd have, they'd have like Alexa cameras all around the, the house anyway, so they'd know if they were being burgled. Yeah, pointless. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, on, when he was on, on when they're on uh, the way back, he he could have just texted him, could have said, "Oh, you've forgotten, you've yeah. forgotten me." Oh, okay, yeah. right. So yeah, it, th- that's the difficulty. <laughs> that's gonna be quite an exciting film, isn't it? They get they don't even get to the yeah. airport. <laughs> Home alone for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So yeah, I think we're we're all in agreement then. Yeah, it sounds like if this franchise wants to continue, um, which of course it will. I mean, Amazon's not going to buy it for nothing. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe going backwards, maybe simplifying it, having it as a bit of a throwback. Mm. It would definitely tap into the nostalgia. I think of what makes Bond so great. To your point earlier, is like that's 
that's something that might sort of get a lot more people on board because a it would make you know people like us who are familiar with it go oh this is like a nice throwback and b it might be something completely different mm. to a new generation yeah. they'll go oh what's this and it might grab their yeah. attention and they're going to want to do it I mean, amazon have just bought it amazon want to make a lot of money mm. um they're oh, yeah. not going to be waiting six years to to make the next bond <laughs> film they're going to be saying look you've got a lot of money to do this as soon as possible i mean i imagine that Barbara and Michael G. Wilson probably uh, will push them back and say, we need time to do this, but they're not going to get loads of time. So um, yeah, you can't follow up Craig very quickly with something very similar. It's going to have to be jar. They're going to have to be able to make these announcements and go, we've got this person in and we're going to do this. And people will be like, wow, that's phenomenal. They're going to do that. If they just go, oh, we've got somebody who's slightly like Craig and we're going to make something very similar (laughs) to what we've just done with Craig, people will be like, Right, okay. Not interested in this anymore. Right. Well, there you go. So, yeah, who who knows? I, I'm really curious to see what happens with this franchise. Um, but I just want to say thanks so much, guys, for coming on. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. And, I mean, where can the good people find you then? Because you guys do this as well. You've got your own podcast. And I'd, I'd love for you to, to go and plug it. If people want to hear more about James Bond, they want to go even more in depth with you. Where can they do that? Uh, well, the easiest way is... Um... Brendan, do you want to, Brendan always does the social handles. I always do the email address. <laughs> At James Bond A to Z. So that's on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah. And if you go onto one of those, you'll be able to, it will link you through to all the different places that yeah. you can download the podcast from. And you can get it from pretty much anywhere. It's A to Z, James Bond A to Z, Apple, so, um, Spotify. Um, so yeah, pretty easy to find. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Anna. Of course, I'll be putting links into all of that in the show notes for people. But I just want to say, Tom, Brendan, thanks thank for having so us. Much for coming no, on. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And there we have it. Another fantastic episode recorded. Thank you so much to both Tom and Brendan for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of all things James Bond with us. I hope you guys listening really enjoyed that episode. Definitely go and give their podcast a follow. That's the James Bond A to Z podcast i've put links in the show notes for you where you can go and find them their individual social media accounts all of that good stuff go and give them a follow go give them a listen you will not regret it i of course want to give a big thank you as always to the resident artist alex who designs the logo for the podcast if you like what you see in our artwork and our banners make sure you use the links that are in the description for him to commission him for your very own artwork as well And of course, a big thank you to you, dear listener, for checking out this podcast. If you liked what you heard, then reach out to me. Let me know what you thought. I'd love to hear from you. You can find my social media links and my email in the show notes of this podcast. Don't hesitate to reach out. Any and all feedback is welcome. I'm also looking for guest spots all the time. So if you're listening and you think you might have a topic that you could bring to the show, I'm always open to that. So you can reach out and message me and who knows you could have your very own episode of fundamentals and if you'd like to go that one step further and help to promote the podcast the best ways to do that number one is tell someone that you like the podcast word of mouth is invaluable Uh, you can also share on social media if you do that be sure to tell me because i would like to give you a shout out on the podcast and the final one is to go and give me a lovely five-star review on your favorite podcatcher If you do that, then again, 
reach out to me because I'd love to give you a shout out. I'd love to thank you for supporting the podcast. That's it from me. I'll be back again in a few weeks' time with a completely different guest on a completely different subject. So until then, stay tuned and stay safe.